Hi, I'm Jason. And I'm Scott. Welcome to Skipped On Shuffle, a podcast where we delve into an overlooked song by a popular artist. In today's episode, we're going to talk about Bill Withers and his song, Where You Are, from his 1976 album, Naked and Warm. people who are listening to this podcast, they may find themselves not really knowing who Bill Withers is. I know just uh, my, my girlfriend, she she asked me when you were about to record this episode, she said, oh, what, what, what artist are you guys recording about today? And I said, Bill Withers. And she goes, I, I don't know who that is. And I said, yes, you do. You know, two of his biggest songs, Ain't No Sunshine and uh, Lean On Me. And she's like, oh yeah, totally. And I feel like that's probably how a lot of people feel or, or, think about when they when they hear the name Bill Withers. They may know the name or like have heard the name, but they don't really make the connection that he wrote and sang these two monumentally huge songs. And they might not even know that the songs are sung by the same person. I don't know. It's like he's one of those kind of outliers, you know? Yeah, I feel like, and, and, and we'll get into this because we'll talk about obviously the history of Bill Withers, but a lot of it could just be him completely deciding to leave the record industry completely swear off recording and playing live and i feel like yeah there's been this generation you know pretty much our generation that hasn't ever had like a bill withers album or seen him perform somewhere and i I think you're right where i i think if i didn't know and i heard ain't no sunshine and lean on me i might not put together that that was the same person and it's interesting that here's yeah here's this guy who should be a pretty household name of famous singer songwriters. And for some reason, I won't say he's completely overlooked or slips under the radar, but is certainly kind of underappreciated. So maybe this, this episode is kind of uh, uh, about a a re a reevaluation and a, and a reminder of like, Hey, there's this awesome guy who wrote all these great songs. And even though we're going to talk about just one of those today, there's certainly probably a ton of skipped on shuffle bill withers tunes yeah i feel like even some of his hits could be skipped on shuffle like you know i i i mentioned lean on me and ain't no sunshine those are two songs that pretty much everybody knows but there's a bunch of songs that are also pretty big hits uh use me for example i don't really hear that one on the radio i don't really hear people talk about that one that one doesn't end up in like people's like you know best mixes of the 70s songs you know or whatever it's weird for a guy who's you know like famous people paul mccartney has covered ain't no sunshine you know right yeah totally thousands of people have covered ain't no sunshine and yeah it always seems to come down to like a couple songs and you think like some of those other ones would get thrown thrown in the mix a little more often yeah meanwhile like you know people who are like serious songwriters or serious music fans or or just happen to you know grow up in the in the late 60s and 70s and come come of age at that time you know they know and love so many of these bill withers songs so yeah it is it is really weird he's he's kind of this weird outlier it's 
It's strange, but we're going to get into all that. We're going to talk about the history of Bill Withers, and we're going to talk about this particular song that's, you know, probably, I would say, a majority of our listeners have probably never heard before. So this is going to be an exciting episode because you're going to learn a lot about a guy that you probably didn't know much about, and you're going to be pretty impressed with, with what his life was really like. William Harrison Withers Jr. was born in 1938, the youngest of six siblings. His mother was a maid and his father was a coal miner in a small town in West Virginia. His parents divorced when Bill was only three and he went to live with his mother's family in the nearby town of Buckley. His father died when Withers was only 13. Looking to leave West Virginia, at the age of 17, he decided to join the Navy. He spent nine years as an aircraft mechanic in the service. He had grown up with a stutter, and it wasn't until he joined the service that he was able to get speech therapy to help him overcome it. In his downtime while serving, he became interested in writing and playing songs. He was discharged from the Navy in 1965 and moved to San Jose, taking a variety of jobs, including being a milkman until finding steadier employment manufacturing airplane parts. While attending a Lou Rawls concert at a small club in Oakland, Withers happened to overhear the owner complain behind the bar about how he was paying $2,000 a week to Rawls to perform, and he wasn't even on time. Upon hearing that amount to just play, Withers committed himself to making a career in music. But even maybe committed is too strong of a word. Withers says he wasn't as driven as some stars to be successful, but felt he could do it and decided to take a shot at it. His debut was the single Three Nights and a Morning, released in 1967. He'd later re-record this one for his first album, but let's take a listen to the original. single didn't make much of an impression, but Withers continued to write and play. He moved to Los Angeles and got a job as an airplane mechanic, at one point installing toilets on planes, and saved his money, every paycheck, to invest in recording, more demos, and playing small clubs to build his name. At the time, Withers is nearly 30 years old. Withers decides to work with Ray Jackson, a trombone player in the Charles Wright and the Watts 103rd Street Rhythm Band, a soul and funk band. Jackson takes Withers' demos to Forrest Hamilton, an exec at Stax Records, who then calls up Clarence Avant at Sussex Records and arranges for him to meet Withers. At the meeting, Withers plays Grandma's Hands, and Avant immediately signs him to the label. Avant enlists Booker T. Jones, famously of the band Booker T. and the MGs, to produce Withers' debut album. The plan is to record the album in three short sessions, but the record company runs out of money for the band after the second session. They don't finish recording until nearly six months later. The album, Just As I Am, comes out in May 1971 to universal critical acclaim and commercial success. It features one of Withers' most enduring classics, Ain't No Sunshine. 
Ain't no sunshine when she's gone It's not warm when she's away Ain't no sunshine when she's gone And she's always gone too long Anytime she goes away Wonder this time where she's gone Wonder if she's gone to stay Ain't no sunshine Interestingly, the upbeat track Harlem was intended as a lead single with Ain't No Sunshine as the B-side. But after DJ started playing Ain't No Sunshine, the pressing was flipped to put the song on the A-side. The cover of the album is Withers Outside the Factory, where he was still working at the time with a lunchbox in hand. Withers would go on to receive three Grammy nominations, including Best New Artist, Best Male Pop Vocal Performance, and wins for Best R&B Song with Ain't No Sunshine. So at 33, Withers is instantly a successful and Grammy-winning musician. Withers releases his second album, Still Bill, in 1972. It hits number four on the Billboard charts and tops the R&B chart thanks to hits like Use Me and another one of Withers' most iconic tracks and his only number one song, Lean On Me. Withers' powerful live performances were documented on the supporting tour for that record with a stop at Carnegie Hall that would be released as a live album the following year in 1973. Rolling Stone recently ranked that release as 27th on a list of the best live albums. The third album came from Withers in 1974 in the form of Adjustments. If you look at the cover, it's Plus Adjustments. He explains it right on the record cover, though. The record cover shows Withers writing out the explanation of the title, which is about the choices we have to make in life about the big things, love, religion, etc., and how we help or hurt people along the way, and how we have to live with ourselves and make adjustments as we go. The cover mentions that the, quote, old people back home, end quote, would say it as adjustments. The record didn't have a runaway hit like the previous two, so you might not know this one, but here's the lead single from that album, The Same Love That Made Me Laugh. Your love is life. adjustments, Withers got into a legal dispute with his record label for not paying him properly and accusing them of black exploitation and how they would market him and his music. Withers kept busy with the music, though, writing and producing songs for Gladys Knight and the Pips and playing alongside music icons like James Brown, B.B. King, and Etta James and a concert in Zaire. He would also go on to collaborate with Bobby Womack on a single, It's All Over Now. I used to love 
Withers eventually left Sussex Records, and the label would fold completely due to serious tax problems, and Withers would sign with Columbia Records. His fourth and first album for Columbia, Making Music, which was released as Making Friends in the UK, again failed to match Withers' previous successes, but it still reached number seven on the R&B charts. Let's take a listen to one of the best songs from that record, Hello Like Before. Hello like before I'd never come here if I'd known that you were here I must admit though that it's nice to see you dear You look like you've been doing well His next record is Naked and Warm, which features Where You Are, the track we'll talk about today, so we'll come back around to discussing that album. And I should mention, if you are looking up this album and the song, for some reason, and I'm not sure why, the song is also titled, Where Are You? And I feel like it's just some mistake someone made somewhere along the way. I think it's even wrong, like on the links from like the Bill Withers website, when it links to like Spotify or iTunes somewhere. I think somewhere along the way, some somebody got confused or some bot did some weird programming. So you might find the song titled, where are you as opposed to where you are, but there is, there is only where you are. I double check the album cover to make, I, I saw on the actual printed label on the LP, it is where you are. So just if you're looking up the song and you get confused, they're both the same song. When Withers releases 1977's Menagerie, it had been a few years since he had had a big hit, but he finds one on this record with Lovely Day. Let's take a listen. Then I look at you And the world's alright with me Just one look at you And I know it's gonna be A lovely day as you can hear on Lovely Day, is upbeat and Withers spends less time incorporating painful or dark experiences and relationships as he did on previous releases, instead crafting a collection of more danceable and feel-good tracks. Despite the pleasant mood on the record, Withers was starting to have problems with Columbia. Withers had always fought for creative control over his music, and the execs there were increasingly needing to approve Withers' songs. He manages to finish his seventh album, Bout Love, which was produced and written with Paul Smith, a jazz pianist. The album returns to a mix of upbeat and introspective tracks that Withers is known for, but it is not a huge commercial or critical success, peaking at number 134 on the Billboard charts and number 50 on the R&B charts. The performance of the record likely exacerbated problems he was having with the label, and it would be several years before he'd release another album. But he'd find more success in collaborations, most notably with saxophonist Grover Washington Jr. on the 1981 hit Just the Two of Us. I see the crystal raindrops fall And the beauty of it all Is when the sun comes shining through To make those rainbows in my mind When I think of you sometime And I want to spend some time with you Just the two of us We can make it if we try Just the two of us Just the two of us 
The song would go on to win a Grammy for Best R&B Song. He had a few other hits and eventually in 1985 put out his eighth and last album, Watching You, Watching Me. The album was recorded over several years due to Columbia's insistence on approving the songs. At one point, to give you an idea of how bad things got between Withers and Columbia, Withers joked that he wanted to bomb the company's headquarters. He called the execs at the label Black Spurts, and he walked away from the music industry entirely. In interviews, he would talk about how he was a regular guy before he became famous, and therefore, he didn't feel the need to continue in an industry he'd grown to despise. In 2015, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame by Stevie Wonder. In his acceptance, he said, I'm not a virtuoso, but I was able to write songs that people could identify with. I don't think I've done bad for a guy from Slab Fork, West Virginia. Withers died earlier this year from heart complications at the age of 81. In a tribute, drummer Questlove called him our everyman, our Bruce Springsteen. But now, let's go back to 1976 and talk about Withers in the middle of his career with his album Naked and Warm. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Skipped on Shuffle. Right about now, in most podcasts, you'd be hearing an ad for something, uh, but we are trying to keep Skipped on Shuffle ad-free, and the way we're going to be able to do that is through Patreon. Please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash skippedonshuffle. Any donations go to support the costs associated with running this podcast. Jason just went over the history of Bill Withers and and how it's it, it's kind of unique in in the fact that he you know he he started late he was in his 30s when he released his first record and then he you know got huge got famous won Grammys became this you know this huge this huge singer songwriter and then kind of faded out into the distance when he stopped you know creating a the biggest the, the huge huge hits that he was known for at the beginning of his career and then you know pretty much abandoned the music industry entirely after his 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 final record where he was just like I don't want to do this anymore and then he just didn't do it and that's kind of it, it it's an interesting aspect of Bill Withers that we're going to mention a few a few times as we as we talk in this episode but we want to sort of hone in on the why of why he was so combatant with his labels and uh, sort of had this negative attitude towards the music industry as a whole. So as far as we can tell, Bill Withers felt that he was being pushed out into the world of music as a black artist making black music for black people. And that's completely the opposite of how he felt. He was very much just an, uh, an every every man kind of person who was just like, I picked up a guitar. I started writing some songs. People really liked them. And that's what I want to do. And that's what I'm doing right now. There was no like, Oh, I'm trying to write songs that speak to a black generation. I'm not trying to write hits for black radio. I'm just a dude making music. And that's what I want to be sold as. And the label and his, probably his management and other people were not 
on board with that. And so, yeah, I feel like, I feel like some context there would be, would be helpful for people to really understand why he was so angry and so frustrated with, with, you know, the people that controlled his entire career. Yeah. I think he's like, I'm writing the songs that I'm writing and clearly people connect all kinds of different people connect with them. I don't need, I I don't need you. (laughs) I, I don't need you to help me out or tell me what to do or suggest, you know, ideas for me because I I got this. I'm fine. You know, I've, I've lived, I've lived a life before I've had this career. And I think that's kind of another important thing is yeah. How late he is coming into the game, so to speak, as, as far as the record industry goes. So the record industry execs are probably used to, and we've mentioned this in, you know, a ton of other episodes is, pushing people around or telling you, Hey, this is what you're going to do. And here's how you're going to do it. So it's not surprising that suddenly, you know, this guy who had, you know, served in the military had been used to, you know, people probably telling him what to do. And now he's like, ah, I'm out. I don't have to do that anymore. And you don't have to tell me what to do. And I don't really care if that's not what you want to hear. Like, I don't have to appease you in any way. Um, so it's kind of cool just to hear somebody stand up to these people who basically you've been you can imagine you know bill withers sitting there working on a song working on trying to record it and some guy just walks in here's like 20 seconds of it and it's just like oh no we don't we don't want that let's let's work on something else yeah so what's what's crazy to me is and and obviously uh racism and racial inequality is a huge topic right now it's it's obviously something that we're all familiar with from the news and from our facebook feeds and all that stuff but what's what's really crazy to me is that you have this guy who on his first record writes ain't no sunshine his first record like this is a guy 30 years old releases his first record and on the cover of the record is him like at his blue collar job that he has while he's making this record he writes ain't no sunshine becomes a huge hit wins grammys does all this stuff and then and and you you gotta just imagine this like sleazy most likely white record executive coming in and being like i'm gonna tell you how to do this like it's just crazy to think about like the guy who wrote ain't no sunshine getting told by somebody else like well if you want to appeal to you know this demographic and if you want to do it's just it's just mind-boggling how that must have you know how, how that must seem now like can you imagine being like an older guy who is like oh yeah i'm the guy who told bill withers what to do and how to write <laughs> songs like like can you imagine how embarrassing that must be so yeah it it just it brings it back to this like latent kind of, you know, this this latent racism that that kind of like permeates through the music industry. You know, it it does so now, but especially back then. We're, you know, we're we're talking about the era of like Motown, where it was like it was like a machine. It was like and we talk about this a lot in our Marvin Gaye episode, where it's like Motown industry was like a machine. It's like no, we are writing songs specifically to create for white people to bob their heads to, and for black people to you know buy and 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 attach to in all these different ways and whatever. It was like it was very calculated. And Bill Withers is not that. He is the anti Motown basically yeah and it's interesting to think about him working on this album because this is an album that he produces himself i think the the actual album cover says bill withers with as opposed to bill withers and so he has other people kind of helping around but he chooses not to play any instruments on this record so just vocals he usually i 
pretty much you Google a picture of him. Bill Withers is sitting with like an acoustic guitar most of the time. Occasionally you play piano on a few tracks. Um, but I think that's really something interesting to think about in, in this album too, is him taking on a more creative role and kind of overseeing his songs coming to life as opposed to him doing the work of, you know, playing them. If that, if that makes any kind of sense, I feel like there's a, there's a difference between I'm going to, you know, lay down my vocal track and now I'm going to sit down and play the piano and play the guitar to it, as opposed to having, you know, a session musician there or your band there and being like, Hey, can you play this? And then, Oh, can you play it a little bit differently than, than I would? Because he's a super humble guy and recognizes, you know, I, I read you that quote about the, I'm no virtuoso. Um, he admittedly is just like, no, I can't really play guitar. Can't really play piano. I know enough to, you know, at least write a little tune and get me by, but I'm by no means, you know, an, an expert. And I feel like that whole attitude really comes through on this record of just being like, I'm just going to let things go and see what happens. So I feel like you get a lot of interesting stuff on this album that doesn't exist on any other Bill Withers record. Like it doesn't, it, it immediately doesn't sound like any of the other records. To give a bit of context for when this record comes out, this is 1976. So this is sort of in that in-between zone where the heavy rock music of the late 60s and early 70s that, you know, was all over the radio is is now starting to slowly fade into the background as disco is starting to take over. And, you know, I don't need to go, this isn't, I'm not going to go into a whole history of the disco versus rock wars and all this stuff. But basically, you know, we all know disco is upbeat, very happy, very uh, focused on like dance beats and danceability and kind of just like fluff. And that's one of the big reasons why the rock scene hated disco so much. They felt like it was just commercialized fluff, you know, kind of just garbage and whatever. Uh, so, so 1976 is when this record comes out. So, so when you view this album and even like the cover art and the name and all this stuff through the lens of, you know, disco is happening. You kind of get the idea of, of why, you know, like you just said in, in, in you know, a, a little bit ago, why Bill Withers is kind of just like, I'm just going to relax and sort of just have fun, you know, because that's what was going on at this time. It was like this fun, fun, fun music revolution that, that disco was. And so Bill Withers is kind of in a way responding to that with this record, which like you said, sounds a lot different than other Bill Withers records where, where, you know, where, when disco was not happening. <laughs> So this song really stands out because I feel like this is one of those tracks I listen to and every time I listen to it, I hear something a little different or I notice something else going on. First of all, we can talk about the time signature of the song, which is just totally weird. I, I, don't, I don't know how to... It starts and you're like, okay, I think I got the... Be oh, no, it's... <laughs> 
yeah. it's not quite what I what I expect or what I think. And for a guy, when you listen to the earlier records, it's like you know pretty much from the first couple notes. Okay, this is the kind of song it is. I know exactly how this is going to go. And I feel like he kind of throws you for a loop in a couple places in this song, not to be mean or anything or make it like really like oh my god where what's happening now but in again that fun sort of casual way like hey why don't i you know throw this in and why do we do this and you know it's this very piano driven track and there's this kind of fun back and forth between like what sounds like a regular like acoustic piano and like an electric piano playing the part like a little bit differently um right after the the main piano melody if you listen to the song you'll immediately get some of the stuff that i'm talking about um and you know there's this funky bass that comes in at, like around like the third verse if you're if you're listening to it again like this is something you have to listen you don't have to listen closely you can just kind of enjoy it and bop your head along but if you know anything about music or pay attention to a lot of there's a lot of cool stuff going on in this song yeah i totally agree when when i when i first heard it i you know was was I, I totally did the exact same thing you're saying with the drum beat. I was like, okay, drum beat. Wait, no, no, wait, where's the drum? What, why is the drums? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was, it was very strange because you're so used to, especially in pop music and especially in Bill Withers, most of Bill Withers catalog, you're so used to like, you know, four, four, you know, bass, bass, uh, bass snare, bass snare, bass snare, just like real basic stuff that just like, you know, lays down the beat and then allows the instrumentation to go on top of it. And yeah, I could totally imagine like he's got a drummer that's, you know, like a hired gun kind of guy. That's a studio musician, you know, playing. And he's like, Oh, what if I did this? And Bill was like, sure. That's yeah, it's almost kind of, I, I guess the way to think of it. And you, I don't know, aside from the time era that you'd necessarily like think of these two, but a little bit like the steely Dan always working with like these session musicians and being like, try this, try this. Can you do this? what happens when you do this and then you know coming up with something that you certainly couldn't have come up with yourself necessarily um because as as we talked about not you know having the technical ability or necessarily like the know-how but certainly you get the sense that he recognizes like oh that's kind of cool and really interesting to listen to and let's let's try that and i also think a lot about this song i feel like and I feel like I mentioned this in another episode. I can't remember which one, but I feel like if you're an artist, you're always trying to perfect a certain kind of thing. Like if you're a painter, you might paint like 50 paintings that almost all look the same because you're striving for something or you have some idea. And I feel like a lot of times songwriters kind of do the same thing. And when I listen to this song, I feel like this is just some kind of trial run for what would be lovely day on the next album. I feel like he's got the idea here and he's like trying to get to it. And I don't know. There's a lot of things that make me feel that way. It's the, all all the layered vocals at the end of the song. It's also just the, the simple message of the song. Granted, there's other Bill Withers songs that are just like, I'm happy. I'm in love. Um, (laughs) Especially like later on in his career. Um, But certainly this one in particular, and we can kind of go into lyrics again, pretty straightforward not very complicated it might just be the mention of of sunshine equating you know sunshine and happiness again he bill withers will be the first to tell you like i'm i'm not a complicated guy (laughs) like trying to you know i'm just i'm telling it as it is and how i see it um so 
ever since you came into my life is how the song starts out. You have been so wonderful to me. That's why where you are is where I want to be. And when you listen to Lovely Day, it's kind of like the similar thing. Like I wake up in the morning and then I look over and see you laying next to me and then I immediately like feel totally great. And that's pretty much the entire message of the song. Um, so like I said, if you listen to this one and then listen to Lovely Day, I don't know. I, I hear basically Lovely Day in progress when I listen to this song. Yeah, that's that's something that that like you said, lots of musicians do. You know, they'll 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 lay down a track and they'll be like, "This is I'm going for this," and then you know they don't quite achieve it, and then they they achieve it later, or 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 a lot of times you'll see it the other way around, where it's like somebody will write a song, you know, kind of toss off real quick. Oh, I wrote this in ten minutes, and then it becomes this ginormous hit, and then they spend a career trying to like duplicate <laughs> yeah. that 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 same thing that they somehow they captured that lightning in a bottle once and they try and do it over and over and over again. So we could we could probably make a whole list of of disparaging uh songs where we're like, this is clearly a song of them trying to relive their glory days, but we're not gonna go into that. But yeah, the idea of that song kind of connecting to Lovely Day does 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 make does make a lot of sense to me. And yeah, I think that you know, I, I think that with a song like this, it is really interesting that, like you're saying, the lyrics are so, I don't want to use the term generic, but I guess what you're saying is, is very, very basic. Just kind of like, everybody's having a great time. We're all happy. I love you. You love me. This is all good. You know, that is kind of interesting that he's doing this kind of like simplistic lyrical thing over this song that is very strange and interesting with this weird beat and these weird sounds and stuff. You would almost think that he would also go crazy with the lyrics too. But I think that, you know, once again, that Bill Withers attitude of just being like, eh, <laughs> you know, like I, I, and I think a lot of it too. And I mean, you get this immediately is like Bill Withers, voice is so he can like hit any kind of emotion that he kind of doesn't need to. It's like, I don't need to do anything with the lyrics because I could sing whatever and you'll immediately feel what I'm singing like straight in your heart and brain like immediately. Yeah. Like, like kind of like, I, like a Leonard Cohen kind of thing where it's yeah, like, like it just, he, it, Leonard Cohen could sing the phone book and you'd be like, yeah, I'm feeling this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I feel like for Bill Withers, it's just like, he can just immediately get at you and get your attention. So, you know, and, and then again, I think that's why, you know, people, I, I think when you listen to the song, I think, maybe he got so hung up on people are always paying so much attention to my voice. Like I want them to pay attention to another part of me, which is like my musicality. Even if, you know, I'm a guy who, you know, plays a little bit of guitar. Okay. And plays piano. Okay. You know, I, I I'm producing this record. I can make other things happen. Even if I can't physically do it myself, I can, you know, get people together and create this kind of like, cool stuff that I couldn't do if I was just, you know, sitting at home with my guitar. So I feel like it's, it's kind of taking a bold step for a guy who's for the most part from everything I read and can tell like pretty reserved, pretty like calculated as far as like, okay, I'm going to write some songs now. Okay. We're going to do this record um, for him to take this kind of step of just like, I don't know, let's throw things at the wall and kind of see what happens. Um, and I think I think that's what makes this this album and the song like so interesting is just kind of a more carefree Bill Withers. Um, and I and I hope the history gives you some sense of, you know, that he's uh, uh, of what he was like and kind of how 
much this song and this album is are, are really outliers in his catalog. at this point in the episode we go over our personal connections to the song or to the artist or the album or, or whatever it might be and invariably Jason and I we we talk about you know going to a concert or buying that album for the first time or or you know going on a date and hearing the song whatever we talk about how we connected to it over our lifetimes but I want to actually do something a little different here and talk about how I actually feel more connected to Bill Withers now than I have ever. And it's just because of doing the research for this episode. I knew that Bill Withers was kind of a, I don't want to use the word cranky, but I always knew that he was kind of like a iconoclastic kind of guy who, who didn't really fit into the mold of, you know, so, uh, some other like major rock stars who, you know, love to spend money and wanted to be on the cover of magazines and whatever. I always knew that he was like a blue collar guy who just happened to get famous and, and all that. Like I, I, I understood that, but I didn't really understand how much integrity this guy had uh, as a musician and as a human being until I started reading about him and, and reading about the creation of these records and the fights that he was having with his record label and, and, and all that. Like it just, I don't know. I felt more connected researching this guy than I had over years and years of just listening to his music. And, you know, like, you know, Bill, like we said, Bill Withers has these, these really, really big hit songs that pretty much everybody knows. There's probably not very many people on the planet who haven't heard lean on me or ain't no sunshine. So, or, or even lovely day. Like, I feel like that's also a song that a lot of people have, have heard in their lifetime. So, so like there's so much to connect with, with Bill Withers through his music, but for whatever reason, I never really made that connection as much as I did until over the past like two weeks where I've been reading about Bill Withers and listening to the music and, and figuring this all out. And I, I'm the kind of guy who has a deep respect for people who, who have that kind of integrity, even if I don't like their music, you know, like I'm probably not gonna be able to think of anybody off the top of my head, but like, well, I guess we, we talk about it in the REM episode where I, I deeply respect the people in REM, especially Michael Stipe for standing up for what they believe in for, uh, for, working very, very hard to keep their integrity of their group sacrosanct, no matter what was coming along. And even though I'm not the hugest fan of REM's music, I do have this like deep respect for them. And I think with Bill Withers, it was like, I kind of had one, but not the other, where I had this deep respect for his music and for his songwriting. And, and like you said earlier, his, his just amazing, amazing voice. And I, but I didn't know the depth of like how, you know, he literally was just like, you know what? 
fuck this. I'm out. You know, like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm sick of this. I'm, you know, and, and to me, like, that's just like, so punk rock, like just like this, this totally punk rock attitude, you know, like, like, you know, Green Day, who like consider themselves a punk rock band, they didn't do that. Like they weren't just like, you know what, we don't want to do this anymore. No, they're like constantly trying to grab that, you know, over and over and over again, constantly trying to be this like quote unquote relevant band, you know. And I don't want to like spend a bunch of time shitting on Green Day or anything, but at the same time, like you can see that like Bill Withers was just like this, like, no, he's just like a genuine person who's just like I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to go spend some time with my family. I'm not going to write. I'm not going to tour. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to live my life. And that's what I want to do. And to me, like, it was just so great. So I, I, I really feel that just by spending the time learning about this guy, that I feel more connected to him and his music now than I ever have in my entire life. And I think that's the first time that's happened with a Skip Don Shuffle episode. Most of the time I come into these and I'm like, oh yeah, like I love this band or, oh yeah, like I know a lot about this band and I'm just kind of a casual fan. But I feel like with this episode, I am kind of like a listener where I'm like, wow, like I didn't know this. This is really interesting. I, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of my connection to Bill Withers now rather than, uh, the way that it's been portrayed in a lot of other episodes we've done. Throughout this episode, we talk about race a bit and Bill Withers and his relationship with the music industry. And it's really interesting because kind of despite all this and throughout his career and, and being very honest and plain spoken, you think that politics would come up more in his music. And he's interestingly this apolitical guy and I feel like a lot of what he stands for and his music stands for, just despite the fact that it gets, you know, attributed to, you know, racial issues at times, you know, writing a song Harlem, obviously, you know, lends, lends itself to you thinking like, oh, well, you know, he's black and he spent some time in Harlem and maybe he sees that differently than I would see it as, you know, a white person in Harlem. And it's just interesting to think about how he was adamant about making his music for everyone. And I feel like the thing that encapsulates that best for me and also just kind of and thinking about 2020, I mean, this was the, the year Bill Withers died earlier this year and thinking about how enduring his music is and talking about all the racial tension going on in this country. Uh, the, 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 one of the kind of most memorable things of, of 2020 so far for me um, at the George Floyd protest in Washington, D.C., there, the, I mean, the streets are filled with people and somebody's got a microphone and they start singing Lean On Me. And, you know, there's some people singing along and then it gets to the chorus and it's just this massive chorus of people because everyone knows the song. And I think about, you know, that Scott told the story about his girlfriend where she didn't know who bill withers was but you're and probably if you went around the crowd you'd be like who who's the writer of the song like who's the guy that you know and you might not know and it doesn't matter and it has like this great message and i just i feel like it it really sums up a lot of the power of bill withers music that we talk about how he writes these simple songs very straightforward and just how amazingly effective it can be and how emotionally affecting it could be. And it's funny that as, as we, you know, turn on the TV and read stories and things that, you know, when people think about 
the the protests and you know there's certainly still protests going on and other incidents happening but for me when i think of you know the the 2020 george floyd protests you know i i tend to sure i i know there were riots and violence and things that happened looting that happened places but for me this is like the the image that sticks with me is all these people in the street different ages different backgrounds coming from all over the place all standing crowded in the street holding candles and you know the uh their cell phone lights up and all that singing lean on me together and it's just i don't know it it, it's a really optimistic moment that gives me a lot of hope which i feel like in in these days you have to like take and cherish when you when you get them and when you see them um so for me i think it's going to be really hard for me to throw on a bill withers album or listen to bill withers and not kind of constantly think about that moment or at least keep that moment in, in the back of my mind Please visit our website at www.skippedonshuffle.com for more news about other episodes and our upcoming schedule. We are also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please visit skippedonshuffle.com for links to all of our social media pages.